This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Well, you know what? Uh, turn to the book of Jude. This wasn't in my mind, but I'm going to go there now. I'm going to remind you that we are, the subject is the truth about anointing. And I want to remind you of why we're teaching this. In the book of Jude, verses 3 and 4, it is written, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in, unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I mentioned to you before how there's an urgency, there's a criticality, there's a great burden that Jude is making mention of when he says this and he talks about these men who creep in unawares. And I want to make sure you understand this. When it says that they creep in unawares, it means it's not loud and gaudy and obviously the wrong direction. But if you follow them, you'll end up turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so one of those buzzwords nowadays is anointing. And we find people in pulpits, on TV, writing books, or whatever it is that they do, calling themselves preachers, ministers, pastors, who use that word anointing. And I'll tell you right now that many of them misuse it. And I don't believe they're all just evil, ungodly men, but I believe some ungodly man has made inroads. Okay? And so when I hear. Like we were being taught on Sunday about uh, knowledge, and then I and I hear and it is said so so well. You know where godly knowledge is, there's safety, and godly knowledge keeps us safe in times of trouble. <laughs> godly knowledge keeps us safe in, I believe it was said, dangerous times. But then I remember we're in perilous times. And so ungodly men peddle ungodly knowledge. And what we end up doing is we just keep with the cycle. We just, and we've got to be better than this. We end up repeating what has been said without an understanding. And before you know it, we perpetuate something that is ungodly. And we do not want to do that. So I told you the goal of this is that you know the truth for yourself. So you will not be deceived by ungodly men. All we want to present to you is the truth. We don't need to talk about these ungodly men and what they're teaching. We don't need to waste time on those things. We need you to know the truth for yourself because this is the time when you will hear many a person, many a minister, many a ministry say various things. And I want to let you know someone is wrong. If we're not all agreeing, someone is wrong. Someone's not ministering the truth. 
Because if it's the self-same spirit, why are we teaching different things? And I don't mean different subject matters, because there's plenty of subject matters in the scriptures, but when we contradict one another. And I want to tell you this. This is the thing that, that, that gets me, is that when anyone tries to put themselves on the pedestal of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've heard this. He's not going to share his glory with any other. And I don't believe he ought to either. I mean, after all, who else died for you? Who else loved you all the way to the cross? Who else, who else left his throne in glory? Put on flesh like you and me. Suffered many things from many sinners who he came to die for. And did it anyway. It's not right. That men try to put themselves on Christ's pedestal. And by doing that, they bring Christ down. And I don't think that's right. But I gave you objectives here. I told you that we were going to show you the anointing in the Old Testament, which we did on last Wednesday. And then I said we're going to show you the anointing at work in the New Testament. And then show how this is applied in the New Testament church. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, the book of Luke chapter 4 and also find Acts chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 and Acts chapter 4. So, one of the things I want to make sure you understand, and again, I can't always just assume that everyone's in the same place of understanding. When it comes to how we've divided the Old Testament versus the New Testament, I want to let you know the same God in the Old is the same God in the New. God didn't start something that hadn't already been introduced to us. Let me say it this way. God didn't start something in the New Testament that hasn't already been introduced to us in the Old Testament. He's a purposeful God like that. Okay? So everything that we learn in the Old Testament is not to be done away with. It's not to be thrown away. It actually helps us understand what goes on in the New Testament. So we saw... And we introduce you to what it is to be anointed in the Old Testament. We came across the word moshek, right? That was the verb which we came to understand means to apply on purpose, purposefully apply. And then we found the offices, the men who were anointed. We saw the offices of the priest the prophet, and the king. And we saw that that word, that noun word is Mashiach. And then we found in Daniel, Daniel says, well, here's Mashiach. Mashiach is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the one who had it all applied. Okay? And so the Old Testament let us know that when we see the anointing, what we're looking at is we are looking at that which points to the Messiah. From the Old Testament, we are left to the priest, the king, and the prophet as those who are anointed with oil and that points us to the Messiah. Now, let's see this in the New Testament. Now, if you're in the book of Luke chapter 4, Let's start at verse 16. And it reads, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. 
And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. What did he find? He found the same scripture we went to and started with on last Wednesday, Isaiah 61. And we found and we were introduced to the term anointed there. And we find here in verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed. He hath anointed. Again, he is reading directly from Isaiah 61 here. And so we have no doubt that this is the same that he's referring to. Now, the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is the languages they are written in. And so this is in the Greek as it is translated for us. And when it says anointed here, this is, again, as you see, we saw the word Mashach, whose noun form is Mashiach. But here in Luke chapter 4, in the Greek, anointed is Creo, C-H-R-I-O, C-H-R-I-O, Creo. So we see this as being used in the New Testament scriptures the same way that Hebrew word Mashach was used. Okay, just so we're on the same plane. So you see this in Luke chapter 4, turn to Acts chapter 4. And verse number, let's start at verse 23 and read through verse 27. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, whom by the mouth of thy servant David has said, they're about to read Psalm, or reference Psalm 2, just like we read Psalm 2 on last Wednesday. Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said in the song, Why did the heathen rage, and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast, Creo, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together. So, just to make sure that there's leaving no doubt here. We see Isaiah 61 quoted. We see Psalm 2 quoted in reference. And they talk about that same anointed. Okay? And so now we understand it is used in the same context. Now, what I see here, you're in Acts chapter 4, turn to Acts chapter 10. 
So we can understand and be sure that the meaning is the same, right, between what we saw in the Old Testament and now as we come to this word or this idea in the New Testament. Acts chapter 10. Just to add more unto this. Acts chapter 10 verse. Let's start at verse 36. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel. Preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He's Lord of all. That word I say ye know. Which was published throughout all Judea. And began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. How God creo. And, and if you remember, when we were in the Old Testament, remember we said this, even though, for instance, we saw Samuel anoint Saul. We saw Samuel anoint David. And remember we said, even though his hands were doing it, it was God who was doing the anointing. See, because they were just representatives. And so here we see, and it's beautifully stated here, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. Not with oil. It's just a symbol. But God anointed the Son with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So we see, not with oil, see the Old Testament is just pointing to something. Glory to God. It's just pointing to something. How do you say this? God had it all lined out. He had it all perfectly planned. We were just blind to it before before a certain time, I'll say it that way. We were just blind to it. But he had it all he had it all there in plain sight. We just didn't have eyes to see at that time. But now we do. Now we understand. Now we can't I'm gonna tell you this I'm tell, this is so simple. It's not difficult. It's not real deep stuff. It's just called following God. So, when we see the prophet, the priest, and the king, we saw the oil, and we were able, just from the Old Testament scriptures, to, to ascertain the oil must be the Holy Spirit. We were able from the Old Testament scriptures just to ascertain, oh, this is not about these men. This is about the Messiah. And then here it comes. We see the New Testament scriptures, and they just confirm what God had all mapped out. What God had all planned out. Now look at this in Matthew chapter 16. And I should have put this down as one of my goals, but I mentioned it last time. I want him high and lifted up. I want Christ high and lifted up. I want you to see him that there's no one like him. I want you to see that he stands alone in his glory. Matthew chapter 16. Starting at verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, 
Some Elias and others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. Amen. Glory to that. Again, don't you see that these must have been anointed, right? According to the Old Testament anointing. But they were stand-ins. <laughs> so it couldn't be any one of them. Why? Because they were pointing to him. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thou art the Christ. That word in the Greek is Christos. C-H-R-I-S-T-O-S. Christos. It is the Greek word for Messiah. He says, you're the one that Daniel talked about. You're the real anointed one. So here, Peter, by revelation of the Father, gives witness that Jesus was anointed of God. And he speaks by revelation that this anointing is like any other anointing of the Old Testament. How so? He ascribes deity to Jesus. No one in the Old Testament, not a one of them, were associated with deity in their anointing. See, now, he, now, now, now <laughs> it all pointed to him. It all points to him. No one is anointed like him. No one, and I mean no one. No, he's not John the Baptist. No, he's not Elias. No, he's not Jeremiah. In all honesty, you know, it's... <sighs> you know what amazes me? Is that they're not at his level, but he's not ashamed to call them brother. Oh my goodness. What a wonderful Savior. <laughs> what a wonderful Savior. And, and, and he doesn't have any qualms about who he is. His position is not threatened. See, because whether you recognize him as the one or not, God only anointed him. So by revelation, this is definitely by revelation, Peter came up with this. He says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're the one that God anointed. And you're not like any of those other men. You're from above. Now look at this. Just, just to add on to this. Look at this in John. The book of John. Or the gospel according to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Oh, yeah, yeah, this is good. All right. Uh, let's start at verse 30. This is John the Baptist. Here's his testimony. He must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all. We can stop right there. He that cometh from above is above all. In other words, none of you can claim what he has. 
None of you can lay claim to what belongs to him. He that cometh from above is above all. And he that is of the earth is earthly. And speaketh of the earth. Wow, I'm telling you, that's a message for, the day, for today. We have too many people who think too highly of themselves. And they use the scriptures to think more highly of themselves than they ought to. But this scripture says, come back down to earth. He's above all. What you have talking about, you're talking from your earthly perspective. You can't get there. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testified that no man receiveth his testimony. He that receive, hath received his testimony hath said to his seal that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaketh the words of God. Now get this. For God giveth not the spirit by measure unto him. Think about that. Amen. And I'll have you know this. The prophets of the old, they had a measure. You know why I know that? The kings of old, they only had a measure. You know why I know that? David said, take not that Holy Spirit away from me. Saul, King Saul, who had the oil poured upon him, was removed from his office. They had measures. But this one, there is no measure. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. Remember, the oil represented the Spirit. <laughs> but this one, no, he didn't measure out the Spirit. Spirit without measure it means all power is with him. So remember, the Old Testament shows us men who are anointed, meaning the Holy Spirit came upon them. The anointed king had a measure, the anointed prophet had a measure, the anointed priest had a measure. But in Christ, there's no mere measure, he has it all. Trust me. When we talk about that Old Testament that pointed to him and he came, no one else can lay claim to that. No one else. He is the anointed one. Man, I, I, I really want you to understand this. I'm, I'm going to say this. You know, there's a reason why it was penned for us and written for us that we need to study to show ourselves approved. Workmen that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There's a reason why it says that. Because I'm going to make this statement. The New Testament scriptures speak of no other man being anointed uh, how could any other man really be anointed if he received the Spirit without measure? 
In all honesty, if you could see it this way, if we want to liken it to what happened in the Old Testament, remember there was a horn of oil that they would use? Well, God said, I got one horn, one batch of oil, and I'm going to pour it all. He's the anointed one. Now, again, the scriptures make it plain to me. I, I, I don't think it's, I don't think there's any equivocation here. I don't think there's any gray area. He is the anointed one. And there are other scriptures we could go to, to to back that up to to make sure that you understand. All of those who came before were just types. They were just shadows, but they all pointed to Christ. He has been given the name. That is above every name. That at the mention of that name. Don't you hear that? At the mention. Every knee should bow. Every tongue confess that he alone is Lord. No one else. But there is application to us today. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. There is application for us today. I don't want you to get it twisted. Men have gone too far. But I want you to see the truth. Though Christ alone is the anointed one. Remember he said many shall come in my name. And say, I am Christ. I am anointed. Don't believe them. Though Christ alone is the anointed one, meaning he is the priest, meaning he is the prophet, meaning he is the king. Like we learned in the Sermon on the Mount, he's the king, the king. He's the real one. (laughs) He's all that in one. Even though Christ alone is the anointed one, his ministry continues in the earth today. His ministry continues in the earth today. And we're going to see how here in Ephesians chapter 4 and in another place, but we'll start here in Ephesians chapter 4. let's start at verse 4 we'll read we'll stop at verse 7 there is one body and one spirit even as you are called and one hope of your calling one Lord one faith one baptism one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all but unto every one of us is given grace according to To the measure of the gift of Christ. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now here we go. Because I want to make sure you understand this concept, right? That Jesus has ascended upon high. He has gone into another station in his assignment. 
but the work is still among us. And so what did he do? He made sure that we were given grace. That word grace is charis. Spelled C-H-A-R-I-S. That's that Greek word. It is charis. So unto every one of us is given charis, this grace, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So this grace is according to the measure of the one who's anointed. Remember the one who has no measure? Keep your ribbon there. And actually for me, I don't even have to turn. But even Paul mentions this. He says, it is by this charis, by this grace, that he himself is made a minister. Well, I, I got to read this. Okay, I, yeah, I got to read this. Uh, Starting verse number one. We're going to read through verse seven. I'm sorry. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So he's saying the same thing we said earlier. God knew what he was doing. We were just blind to it until a certain time. That the Gentiles, verse 6, should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, according to the gift, according to the present of the charis of God, given unto me by the effectual working of his power. He says, I'm a minister. And here's the thing about it. Oh, I love it. Paul didn't say he was anointed. Paul said, I'm charist. Paul said, I'm graced. Didn't say I'm anointed. He said, I'm graced. And what does charis mean? It means grace. In all honesty, grace in itself is... We had a teaching on the truth about grace. And even that was not exhaustive. Grace takes the whole teaching in itself. That's not our subject necessarily. I just want to see you. I just want you to see how the anointing applies today. There is one anointed one, but he's aware that huh, there's work still to be done. So back in Ephesians chapter four, verse seven. But unto every one of us is given charis according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Can I? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm trying to get through this. This is a study, you'll be alright with this. He didn't say to a few of us. He said to every one of us. And we just saw he ascribed his ability to minister to that same charis. How is it that we take the ability to minister to say that we're better than somebody else. When Paul basically says, I'm just like each and every one of you. 
I'm not like Christ, other than I'm now born of him. I am now pressing toward him. But that which I am enabled to do is by the carice. But unto every one of us, that means you, that means me, is given grace, charis, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he said, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity, captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Wow. When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. If you will, I'm not going to get into... Uh, the Greek for gift here in verse 7 and gift here in verse 8. But in essence it says, according to the measure of the benevolence of the anointed one, he left us presence. <laughs> That's what he did. He left us presence. When he is sitting up on high, he says, you know what? And, and you'll start to see this. You'll start to understand this. He says, it's expedient for you that I go away. Why? Because there's something coming. So these gifts that are produced by the charis, this grace, they're written further down in verse 11 and 12. And this is what he gave, according to the charis. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors, and teachers. For the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry. I'm sorry, for what? For the work. For the work. Because there's still work that is to be done. Jesus finished his assignment here. But we're still on assignment. And the anointed one, according to his benevolence, has issued charis. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And I want to make sure you understand this. Get this. These are not the anointed. These are the graced. If not for his grace. Amen. If not for his grace. And, and trust me, you want the right anointed one. You want the right anointed one. Why do you want the right anointed one? Because the anointing, here, here's what the anointing does when the anointed one is where he belongs. The broken hearted are healed. The captives are delivered. The blind see. The bruised are set at liberty. That's why. Oh, do you understand? To me, this is remarkable. The plan for God to get you what you needed was to have an anointed one. You will not get what you need if we got the wrong one anointed. 
That's why it's foolish to try to come close to touching what belongs to Him. So again, when we see these gifts, according to, given by the Charis, that enables them to be gifts, these are graced. Not anointed, but they're graced to continue the ministry of the anointed one. Now look at this in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Still with me? I tell you, it's not difficult. Romans chapter 12. So the anointing belongs to Christ. But he graces men with ministry gifts in the New Testament church. You can understand why he says it's expedient for you that I go away. Wow. Amen. Glory to his name. You see, because when he is seated upon high, he gives gifts. So someone in Antarctica can have the blessing of the work of the anointed one according to the grace and we can sit here in Round Rock or in your own home and still have that working hallelujah having then Romans chapter 12 verse number Six. Oh, do I want to start there? Yeah, yeah. Let's start at verse five. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the charis that is given to us. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, having then gifts differing according to the charis. Now I'm going to give you a Greek word here. Right for gifts. The Greek word for gifts here is charisma. C H A R I S M A. Charisma. What is charisma? What are these gifts? It is an endowment of charis. So having then charisma differing according to the charis that is given to us. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Our ministry, let us wait on our ministry. Or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth well, uh, ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. This is the charisma, the endowment of charis at work in the body of Christ. And, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to these scriptures on purpose. This grace, this charis, 
is not in operation necessarily as you will. First Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 4 says, Now there are diversities of charisma, but the same Spirit. Hmm. Jump down to verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge by the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Not as the man wills, We'd be in trouble then. But according as the Spirit wills. And so this charisma, these gifts, you know, men covet gifts, but it's according to the Spirit. So it's not just according to as you will. Now, turn back to Ephesians chapter 4, because I do want you to see this. Ephesians chapter 4. So when we see what we call in Ephesians chapter 4 the perfecting gifts and I don't want to run over this but look at this in verse number 7 but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ I just got to say this about that word measure that word measure doesn't mean some have more than others that word measure means you don't have it all that's all that that means so don't get caught up. Again, what we do is, is on, on two levels, right? Sometimes we're wrong because we put people on pedestals they don't belong. And other times, others are wrong because they get on pedestals where they don't belong. But in all honesty, it's just measured. Oh, they got a lot. No, it's, it's, it's the same spirit. The only one who has anything without measure is the anointed one. But when you see the perfecting gifts there in Ephesians chapter 4, that's what we call them. When you see the protectional gifts there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that's what we call them. Uh, when you see the uh, functional gifts there in Romans chapter 12, these are all referenced to charis, which pertains to the ministry of Christ. Again, I want to show you here now, there's only one anointed one, but his work remains. And he has supplied charis. Remember, the charisma, that's just an endowment of charis. And remember, to every one of us, everyone, every one of us, we've got some measure of grace. We've got some measure of charis. So whether you know it or not, you are empowered for the work of ministry. (laughs) Amen. If you want to point to the anointing, point there. When someone gets active in the work of the ministry, now that's the anointing. (laughs) Not just when someone's up at the pulpit. 
Not just when someone says, I need a new helicopter. You know, that church member who cooks a meal for the other church member, that's the anointing at work. When there's a sick individual in the church and another individual thinks about them and visits them, that's the anointing at work. Now, they are not anointed, but they are graced for the work of the anointed one. Why? Because God has this interest. He wants the brokenhearted healed. He wants the, ca- he wants the captives to be delivered. He wants the bruised to be set at liberty. God is good. So to be clear, there is only one anointed one, and that is Christ. Mm. But there's a scripture that tends to give people problems. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. So we said all this, we, we set it up, we went through scripture after scripture, remember in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Let every word be established. So we gave you witness after witness after witness that it might be established in your heart. And that you might understand Christ stands alone as the anointed one. Now, 1 John chapter 2. Verse 27. But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things and is truth and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you ye shall abide in him. So there is, I said all this, and all of a sudden now it says, well, what, 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 well he says that, that we've received the anointing. He says that anointing abides in us. That same anointing is teaching us. Now, here we go. You just got to watch the translation. In all honesty, I think this is part of our problem is that we're, we're English, or we speak English. And English is a very limited language. And so in the translation, sometimes all they can do is use the same word, even though it's not the same word. So this word anointing in the Greek is chrisma. C-H-R-I-S-M-A. Chrisma. And what does that mean? Here we go. It means unction. It means unction. Doesn't mean... This is what the Old Testament was pointing to. When we saw the prophet, the priest, and the king. This means we have an unction. Uh, Let me show you this. And let me tell you this. This word, as it's used, this unction, chrisma, it's not found anywhere else in the scriptures. It's only found here in... First John. So we don't have we don't have this quoted 
from any other Old Testament scripture to point us to anointing. You understand? That's, that's why I start. You know, you do those things on purpose. I believe God does those things on purpose, so he leaves no doubt. Now, this is what I was talking about. But here, no, we don't have any Old Testament scripture to go to the point. Just to see it, it means anointing. No, that's just the word that was used here. Because if you look at this in verse 20, but you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. That word unction is chrisma. Translated here, unction, translated in verse 27 as anointing. Not used anywhere else. In the New Testament. So it's definitely not the same as we've been talking about all this time. It is different. But it's really not, oh boy. It's not that difficult. I say that, I say that. It's not that difficult. Here's the thing about 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. You know who wrote it? John. <laughs> and here's the thing about John. You know, he also wrote the Gospel according to John. And you know what he does in the Gospel according to John? He goes over what he learned of the Master, the Anointed One. And it is no mystery to me what was in his mind and the teachings that were on his mind when he wrote this. You go back, you look at John chapter 14. Verse 15 and verse 16. Now, I will, I will say this. I can kind of understand why the translator would use the word anointing. Because anointing was about the application of the Holy Spirit. And in John 14, 15, and 16, he introduces to the disciples. John was there. I'm going to send you the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. But you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. How is it that we know all things? I don't know all things. And what he's referencing is that the Holy Spirit will guide you in all truth. Oh, this, this, is, this is lovely. I, I like how he says it. This is, this is very interesting the way he's, he writes it. But he says, but you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. How can I say this? He comes from this perspective. If you really are born again, you have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. So when a liar stands before one who is born of the Spirit, that Spirit is going to say, something's not right. Something just ain't right. This is not jiving. See, this is, this is experiential. You, you have to experience this. Have you ever been in that place before? Oh, I could. I never forget we were in some place. We were at this function. A bunch of other believers there. And I remember this preacher getting up and saying this thing. And uh, this, was, this was years ago. This was like a men's outing. So we were with other brothers from the ministry. And I remember what this meant. I'm not even going to go into who it was or what he said. But I remember what he said. And I remember leaving that place. And I remember getting in the van talking to other brothers. That God didn't say that. Now, I didn't have any scriptures. But it wasn't sitting right with this spirit. 
And, and I will say this. That's right, that's right. I don't believe a lot of what those preachers say. But do you study? Amen. Do you pray? Before you go and, and just say, yeah, I didn't agree with what that preacher said. No. No. All preachers aren't preaching the lie. And, and I'll say this much. Especially those who are members of a ministry. Why are you at a ministry when you can't trust the word that's going forth from that ministry? Something is definitely wrong with you. One way or the other. <laughs> if, you, if you are born of the Spirit and you're sitting in a place where you believe the lie is going, something's wrong with you. And if you are born of the Spirit and the truth is going forth and you believe it's a lie, something's wrong with you. You've got to know those that labor among you. But other people will come in and they'll start saying things that just don't work. I, again, I, I give this other example. I'll never forget this as well. I remember I coming to our founding pastor about something I was hearing on the radio. And I, and I was listening to it for the longest. And I was hearing these things and they were talking about some things. But suddenly they went to a place I couldn't believe they went to. And again, I'm like, it, it just doesn't sit well. I can't say anything. And I went to my founding pastor and said, yeah, that's right. I had to stop listening to that too. See, it's, it's experiential. See, once you're born of the Spirit and you're met with that which is contrary to the truth, I'm, tell, I'm telling you, and I'm not trying to get spooky here. I'm not trying to get spooky here at all. But I remember an individual coming into my house, a friend of the family, and he said some things about some spiritual things, and I said, something's not right. Come to find out he lied. Just as, but I didn't have anything before me. Why? Because when you speak of spiritual things that are contrary to the truth and you're born of the Spirit, it don't sit well. It's called an unction. Wow. Now, now, now this gets me. Because if we have an unction from the Holy One and we sit where lust is taught, covetousness is taught, you're there because you want to be. Not because you truly believe it's the truth. Hallelujah. Verse 26. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. There are people out there. There are people not preaching the truth. There are people who are getting the scriptures wrong. And it doesn't bother you? You're just alright with it? But the anointing or the unction which you have received of him, again, reference to the Holy Spirit, abideth in you. Remember, in John 14, 15, 16, and 17, if you abide in me and my word abide in you, how are we going to abide? Because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, see, because you're going to do my word. And when you do my word, that means you love me. And if you love me, the Father's going to love you. And then we're going to make our abode with you. That's why there's an unction. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But the anointing, the unction which you have received of him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing and the same unction teacheth you of all things, he shall guide us into all truth. 
and is truth and is no lie and even as it hath taught you you shall abide in him and now little children abide in him that when he shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming not talking about having some special power from above talking about what each and every one of us should have not some special called out individual just a child of God so don't get it confused I'm anointed no you have an unction in other words you have the ministry of the Holy Spirit See, it's expedient for you that I go away. <laughs> I'm telling you, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is amazing to me. How can I say it? Oh, I'm running out of time. I'll give you some imagery. Jesus ascended upon high and left the oil on the earth. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. And so now the Holy Spirit is active and only active to the point of fulfilling the purpose of the anointing. I knew we were running out of time. There's another scripture I will not get a chance to get to and I won't touch it. I will not touch it. But if by chance someone comes across another New Testament scripture and they want to talk about it, I'll be willing to talk to you about it. No, but, but I'm under authority and i got a certain amount of time to get you this. So we can't go there. So to be clear, there's only one anointed one and that is Christ. But the anointing operates in the New Testament church by the gifts of the Holy Spirit given by Christ to men. Purposefully applied. So again, there's only one anointed one and that is Christ. But the anointing operates. See, there's a purpose behind the anointing. There's a reason why Christ came. Hallelujah. Glory to your name. Glory to your name. That joy is because of the anointing. That peace we have is because of the anointing. We don't have a bunch of anointed people out there. There's one anointed. And because of the work of the anointing, even though he's on high... We've prospered. And now, there's still others that are captive. There's still others that are blind. There's still others that are bruised. There's still others that are broken hearted. The anointing still operates in the New Testament church. 
by the gifts of the Holy Spirit given by Christ to men. And remember, don't run around here saying, I'm anointed. Say, I'm charised. I'm graced. I am graced. Oh, I am out of time. Look, you made it through another Wednesday night of me. You won't have to suffer me like this again. We're going to make another turn <laughs> on Wednesday night. But what I want you to be equipped with is the truth. Plain and simple. And when we see the truth, we find out that Jesus Christ is the truth. We find him high. We find him lifted up. We find him above our, just like John said. He's above all. No man on that plane, no man can touch him. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.